Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. You may be wondering why, maybe you're not, maybe you haven't noticed, but I've been living around for the last week. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, I better just say it so that people aren't like, oh my goodness, you know, what happened? And so I wish it was a really great story. Um, fortunately, once you hit past 30, there really aren't any more good injury stories. They're usually just living regular life and then getting hurt somehow. You know, like you sleep and then you wake up, you're like, my neck, I feel like my neck's about to fall off. And all you did was literally sleep. <laughs> you're like, how is rest hurting me? Well, I was, um, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, um, my niece and nephew, nieces and nephews were over. So I was there with them, and I said, we got to get these kids some toys. So I went in the room, and I found some, like, magnet tiles that they could play with, and I brought it all out, and I wasn't limping then. But I brought it out, and I said, come here, guys, come here, come here. And I sat in the, and I got down on the floor with them, and they were playing with this stuff. And we were there. They got bored within, like, five minutes. But, you know, so we're there. And then all I did, church, okay, it's not like the house caught on fire, and I saved everybody and ran out the front door. It's not like, you know, a glass but to fall off the counter and I dove and saved it. It was no good story of heroic efforts. I simply got up. Yes, thank you. It's, it is kind of funny. I got up and something happened and now I know what happened. I literally like tore a ligament in my meniscus area and it hurt really bad and I'm like, it's probably just nothing. Anyway, I finally got to the got x-rays and things like that, and, and they kind of narrowed it down. I have to get MRI and all this cats, all that funny stuff. Because I got up. Now, with any injury, and those of you who have had injuries, you understand that when you go to the doctors and they figure things out, then they send you home with your like papers, and it's like, hey, this is what you need to do, and they give you instructions, don't they? Don't do this. Do this. You need to rest it. They said, use the rice method, rest and ice and um, compression, thank you, and elevation, and I haven't done probably three of those things. I, I don't have much ice at the house. Um, we don't have an ice machine, so what are you supposed to do, you know? Come here and use the ice from the ice coffee machine and just, you know, so snow, exactly, now we have some ice. Um, but they give you instructions. You know, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that love instructions, that crave instructions, that need instructions to do anything, to, to, to heal up, to build something, they like crave it. And then there's other people that like the Right when you get a piece of furniture in a box and you open it up and then the next thing you know, like the first thing that's thrown out is not like the wrappers in the styrofoam, it's the instructions. People just toss them out. I don't need instructions. I got it. There's, there's people like that. People love them. People hate them. Um, most dads, I'm the kind of guy that like I want to just figure things out. Now there's times, I'll tell you, I've ran to YouTube many a time trying to fix something. So okay, well I give up and I got to figure it out now. Kids, for the most part, they don't even, they hate instructions, don't they? They don't like them at all. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a superpower how quickly they can forget the instructions that you give them sometimes. But in John 13, Jesus is about to leave some final important instructions for his followers. 
Now, last week we did John 12, and I want to quickly recap that. John 12, last week, we, we came when Jesus came to dinner at Lazarus' house. Remember, he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and then they invited him over, typically, probably for a celebration dinner. Now, now that Lazarus was alive again, and they had dinner together, and then Mary broke open the ointment, the perfume, the very expensive perfume, and washed the feet of Jesus and dried it with her hair, and it was just a very humble act of service to Jesus. And Judas, uh, the one who held the money for the disciples and for their ministry, kind of made a comment like, hey, like we could have used that for the ministry. We could have sold that and given it to the poor. And then when in reality, he was a thief and was taking money from that, they call it the bag, the, the bag of money. And, and Jesus says, hey, leave her alone, leave her alone. She, she's doing a good work. Don't, don't worry about that. And then Jesus goes on and it says that he preached to people. People didn't believe. People did believe. And he, this is the triumphant entry when he comes on the donkey into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And he's coming into the Passover and, and uh, everybody's waving the palm branches and singing Hosanna to the king. And here's the Messiah coming in and they're excited. And, and uh, what, a, what a beautiful picture that is. And, and then he goes on and, and preaches them in verse 32 of chapter 12. He said, if I be lifted up. Uh, I will draw all men to me. And he's speaking of his death on the cross being lifted up. And, and on and on we go. And, and uh, again, the religious leaders are arguing with him. And, and uh, um, we see that many believed, many didn't believe. Even some of the religious leaders believed, but they were scared to say anything because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue, out of the church. And, and it finishes up in chapter 12 of Jesus saying um, that, again, he is sent from God to bring life. To bring light. And then we get to chapter 13. We're going to read through the scriptures quickly. John chapter 13, it says this in, in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, now let's break for just a minute. I want to give you a very important piece of information about this passage. Up to this point, we've seen the ministry of Jesus. His miracles, his preaching, his words, um, and all that from back in the beginning of John, John the Baptist preparing the way for him, Jesus being baptized, and everything else. We've seen a lot of Jesus' ministry. This night, it says it, the feast of the Passover. What's the Passover? Passover is a mandatory Jewish celebration that's still practiced today. But at this time, it was from where Jesus was, and from, it was a three-day journey to Jerusalem, the capital and they would celebrate in Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. They would celebrate their release, their rescue from Egypt thousands of years before. A couple of weeks back, we, we, we read the story of um, when Jesus said, I am, I am that I am, I am hath sent you. We look back to the book of Exodus thousands of years before of Moses in the burning bush. You remember that? And, the, the, and God spoke out of the burning bush and said, you need to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's got my people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, enslaved, being tortured, being abused. He said, they're, they're working, they're dying. And God told Moses, go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You remember that? And if you know the story of that, uh, um, Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, this prideful ruler, dictator, says, no, get out of here. Leave. And then God sends the ten plagues to Egypt. You know, the ten plagues, the water was turned into blood, the frogs, the flies, the darkness, all these different things. And Moses kept going back and saying, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. God said to let his people go. And a couple times Pharaoh was like, okay, fine, 
I'm sick and tired of these frogs all over. He's like, it's crazy. Get out of here. Get Leave. And then he changes his mind and makes them stay and then works them even harder. It's a, it's a crazy story. Honestly, if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, it's like an old universal movie. It's really a great movie. It's a, it's a kid's movie, but it, it honestly tells a pretty good story of Moses. And Just watch it. It's good. And uh, I think Jeff Goldblum's in it. It's, really, it's actually really good. I like the movie. Anyways, that's the story that we're talking about here. So the last plague, the tenth plague, there had been ten plagues, not nine plagues up to this point. One of them was like the whole place of Egypt was under darkness and like no sun at all, no light for like three days. And the only people that were safe from these plagues were the people of God and their little poor houses where they lived on the other side of town and their little shacks. They didn't have frogs and flies and their, their livestock didn't die and their water was still clean, but the Egyptians were being punished with these plagues. And the last plague was this. The last plague back in Exodus, back in the Old Testament, was going to be the angel of death was going to come and, and kill the firstborn of every family, the firstborn son of every family. And the only way to protect your home from that, the Israelites, the people of God knew this, was to take a, a, the firstborn lamb, a spotless, clean lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood from that lamb, and put it over your doorpost on the outside. And then that night when the angel of death came through Egypt, when he came to a house that had the blood of that lamb over the doorway, he would pass over that house. Pass over. He'd pass over that house and they'd be protected. Now the Egyptians didn't do this. So Pharaoh's firstborn son that night was killed. When you read the rest of the story, Pharaoh finally says, leave, go. God's people leave Egypt. They get to the Red Sea, which we sang about this morning, who parted the ocean. They get to the Red Sea. The, Phil the, uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh changes his mind, says, I'm going to go get these people back and kill them. He brings his armies. God parts the Red Sea. The, Egypt the uh, Israelites walk across on dry ground through the sea. It's an amazing miracle. And then when they get to the other side, the Egyptians come, try to follow through. The water comes back together. The Egyptians are killed. God's people are free. He's rescued them. And the Passover celebration started back then, continued for thousands of years, even to this day, when the Jewish people will gather together and celebrate. It's like a seven-day celebration where they come to Jerusalem and they feast and they worship and they have fun together. And it's, just, it's this mandatory celebration that everybody looks forward to. And we get to this week, John 13. The Passover celebration is about to begin. And can you see the connection here? You see, this night, John 13, is what they call the Last Supper. This is the night, the last night that Jesus on earth is with his disciples, giving them some final instruction. They don't know, but Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested this night, after dinner, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll, we'll see that in the next few weeks when we get to it. But Jesus already knows this. He's about to be arrested, tried. People are about to shout, crucify him, kill him. We don't want him alive. And just like that lamb back in the Old Testament that was slain and the blood was shed and put on the doorway to protect them from the angel of death, this spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, they call him the lamb. Remember John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This lamb, Jesus, is about to die, shed his blood to save the sins 
of the whole world and to protect us from eternity in hell. The disciples don't know this yet. But this is the week that we're at. This is where it starts to get real. It's been, it's been fun watching Jesus do miracles. It's been exciting seeing him raise the dead, give sight to the blind, help the lame to walk again. But now we're at John 13. Look what it says before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. That's what we just said. He knew it was time. Having loved his own, which were in the world, his disciples, he loved them unto the end. Means he loved them to the fullest extent. To, to the end. As much love as he could give them, he loved them. And supper being ended, the, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas plays a part in this story. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus knew his purpose. He didn't try to fight this. He said, well, no, can I just stay here? Can I be the Messiah that the people want? Can I overthrow the Roman government? He didn't do any of that. He knew why he came. The, the Israelites' problems and the world's problems went much deeper than some angry dictator controlling them and making them pay extra taxes. Their problems laid much deeper in the heart. They had a heart problem. We have a heart problem. We need a savior, and Jesus knew that he knew his purpose. He said the Father had given him all things. He was come from God, went to God. Verse number four, he rises from supper. So once they finish eating, Jesus knows what's coming. He laid aside his garments, verse four, it's on the screen, and girded him. He laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Back in Bible times, in, in these times, everybody wore sandals. They didn't have Nikes, you know, they didn't have any of that stuff at all. Their feet weren't really covered. They were open. They didn't have paved roads, so everything was dusty. Their feet were nasty, okay? You think your feet are nasty after wearing socks all day and you, you know, on your shoes? This was nasty. And it was unhospitable for you to have a guest into your home and then not to wash their feet or have, their feet, have an opportunity for them to wash their feet. Well, this job of washing the feet was done by the lowliest of the servants. They had house servants back in this time and people that worked there and helped and lived with the family and that was their job. But this job of washing feet, yes, it was a very grotesque job and it was saved only for the lowliest servants, the nasty, dusty feet, the sandals. And the disciples... Any of them would have been willing to wash Jesus' feet. I mean, they saw him as the king. But none of them expected Jesus to wash theirs. None of them. And they sure wouldn't be caught dead washing each other's feet. You're not going to see Peter washing John's feet. You're not going to see John uh, washing, um, you know, uh, Nathaniel's feet, one of the other disciples. Verse number six. Jesus is washing their feet. No one's talking. No one's saying a word until we get to Peter, who always opens his mouth. Some of you can relate to Peter, that feisty spirit, okay, that guy that's always kind of on the edge, ready to do something. This is Peter, verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Are you, are you going to wash my feet? Which is kind of a dumb question. He had washed everybody else's feet. And then he comes to Peter, 
And Peter's like, are you going to wash my feet? Like, like kind of a dumb question. And Jesus says this in verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Jesus says to Peter when Peter asks, are you going to wash my feet? He says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will someday. You will someday. And can I just pause and, and say that to some of you this morning, church? The things going on in your life, the situations in your life with your family, with your job, with your health, whatever it may be, that you just don't understand why it's happening. You're burdened by it. You're kept up at night because of these things in life. Jesus is whispering to you this morning through his word, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. One day you will. Just hold on. Peter, what does he say? Peter says to him in verse, or yes, back to him after Jesus says, you don't know what I'm doing now, but one day we'll verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him. And that's just like Peter, right? You're not going to wash my feet. Verse, verse 9. Uh, verse, sorry, verse, verse 8. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. He's like, You can't, follow, can't be a follower of me if you don't let me wash you. So then what does Peter say? Time Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet also, but also my hands and my head. He's just such an extra kind of guy. I love Peter. I love him. He's the, listen, he's, he may be crazy and angry, and we're going to see more about that, but he's also the one that stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter's all kinds of crazy, and I like Peter. And Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, well, I need to. Well, fine, then wash my whole body. It's just like, Peter, chill out. Verse number 10, Jesus saith unto him, he that is washeth, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you're clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Jesus is telling them, listen, I don't need to wash the rest of you. He was, he was using it as a metaphor of like, I'm coming to save. You don't need to worry about the law and, and taking care of everything. I can save you. Let me wash your feet. Let me save your soul. Let me clean your heart. And he says, you're clean, but not all, because Judas was in the room. Can I also say this? Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Judas was going to leave. In just a moment, we're going to read it. Go, sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Meet Jesus in the garden later on that night as Jesus was praying with two of his disciples and, and betray him with a kiss in the cheek so that the guards knew which one it was. Jesus knew all that was coming. And what did he do? He knelt down and washed the feet of his betrayer. And some of us don't even have the time of day for people that we don't hate. Right? Jesus is a tough example to follow, but he's our example. Verse number 12. So after he washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Do you know what I just did? Verse 13. You call me master and lord, and you say, well. He said, and you're right. I am your master and lord. For so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verse 16, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent, sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. He says, I'm your example. I've washed your feet, so you shouldn't have too much pride to wash each other's feet. 
to serve each other. Yes, he's using feet washing as an example, as a metaphor, as an, ex- as an illustration of you need to love and serve one another. I've done it for you. I'm your example. You follow me to this point. Now take this next bit of final instructions because I know you don't want to. The disciples were always arguing about who was the best. Verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. And by the way, I believe that's where they get this, the show, The Chosen. That's where they get that title of the show is from this verse. I know who I have chosen, the chosen about the follower of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, if you have not watched that show yet, it's free. I encourage you to watch it. It'll, it'll change your life. I really I mean that. It's an amazing show. Um, and it's helped my walk with God. It's not just entertainment. It's spiritually helped me. Verse number 18. Uh, I speak not of you all, but I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Jesus is pointing back to the Old Testament, King David, a scripture in the Psalms where David said, my own friend hath turned against me. The one that I ate with hath turned against me. David was betrayed many times back in his life, in his kingdom. Ahithophel, one of his right-hand men, turned him in. His own son betrayed him, tried to kill him. David knew what it meant, and Jesus was pointing back and saying, the scripture fulfilled, this prophecy fulfilled. Now he... Uh, that he that breath me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, he may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Again, God, uh, Jesus is just talking about how him and the Father are one. God sent him. He's God. They're one. If you believe in God, you should believe in me. If you believe in me, you should believe in God. Verse number 21, we're moving through. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit. And testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. He just, in a moment, his spirit is overwhelmed with emotion. His heart is troubled. He says, one of you is going to sell me out. Jesus loved his disciples, even Judas. Even Judas. There was a time, we don't see the story of Judas joining the ranks of the disciples, of the chosen, of his, of his followers. But at some point in the story, Judas saw the Messiah and said, I want to follow that guy. And began following him and began performing miracles in the name of Jesus. Judas was one of these disciples. He wasn't, we always think of Judas with this like curly mustache, wringing his hands like this evil, like, <laughs> that's not how it started. Something happened. Yes, he plays a part in the story. It had to happen to fulfill scripture. But something happened and Judas made the choice to begin to be a part and to follow and to be this betrayer. And it burdens Jesus because he loves Judas. He's going to die for Judas. Then the disciples, verse 22, looked one another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. By the way, this is John. John is the kind of guy that likes to say that, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, the author of the book. You ever know someone that likes to kind of build themselves up? That's John. I love John too, just like Peter. John will say like, in the, when Jesus rises out from the dead, it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb. We're going to get to it, but it's funny. And it literally, John decided to put in the scriptures that they ran, and the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter. Like he beat him in the race. And that's John who wrote the book. I just love it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him and asked him, asked he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. So Peter says, John, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is that betray, is going to betray him. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith in him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus said, answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop, which is a bread dipped in the um, gravy, whatever you want to call it. 
when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, to Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. He says, whatever you're going to do, go do it and hurry up. Jesus knew. It's very interesting. Jesus knows his purpose. Isn't that amazing that he like knows it? And he's kind of moving it along. He's like, this all has to happen. The disciples didn't get it, verse 28. Now no man at the table... Um, and by the way, in another gospel, the same story, the last supper is in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. In another gospel, it says that the disciples were arguing about who was the best. Well, like, could it be? So you think about the disciples and their attitudes here, and then Jesus wanted to betray them. They're like, well, who's it going to be? Can't be me. I'm the best, blah, blah. He gives it to Judas. Judas leaves, verse 28. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. They, don't, they didn't get what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand it was Judas. Verse 29, for some of them thought because Judas had the bag, the bag of money that Jesus had sent unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. They just thought Judas was leaving because Jesus had told him, hey, we need some stuff for the Passover celebration, so go get it. Or hey, go give this to the poor. So it says in verse number 30, he then having received the stuff went immediately out and it was night. So Judas leaves the house. He leaves. In that step phrase, it was night, it has such a deeper meaning than just the fact that the sun was down. Darkness was coming. The death of Jesus, the death of the Son of God who was God was on the horizon. Satan had entered into Judas. He was about to commit the greatest, really one of the, the worst things imaginable. And it says... He goes, this is going to be the darkest night in history. We're almost done. Verse 31. Sorry, I skipped those verses. Verse 31. It says, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. And he turns to the disciples. Little children, he calls them. He knows they're growing. He knows they're learning. Yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, where I go, you can't come. You cannot come. So now I say unto you, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35, important. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. He says, the world will know that you follow me by the love that you have for one another. So love each other. That's the last instruction he gives them. Verse 36. Time Peter said unto him, Lord, whither, thou, whither goest thou? Like, where are you going? Jesus answered, whither I go, thou cannot follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. He's speaking of his death. See, all the disciples are going to die at one point. They're going to be martyred. They're going to die for their faith and for preaching the gospel. It's about to get real ugly. So Jesus says, not right, not right now. You're not going to follow me now, but soon you will. Verse 37, Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. I'll die for you. Jesus, in verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Really? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the cock shall crow, the rooster shall not crow, till thou hast denied me thrice. He says, before the end, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me. And that's how the chapter ends. It's, it's incredible. The next chapter, we're going to see Jesus is giving them some final thoughts. Because they're all stressed. Think about these, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. You can't follow me. They're like, we followed you this whole time, the last three years. 
He says, someone's going to betray me. Now it's time. My hour is coming. They're like, what is this guy talking about? And then he says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Their hearts are troubled. And we're going to see how Jesus responds to them next week. Now, I can only take this morning one little part out of this chapter. I tried to give it to you, the whole story, what's going on, because we're working through it. It's a very full chapter. We could talk about washing the disciples' feet and make comparisons. We could talk about betrayal of Jesus. We could talk about so many things. But I want to focus on the scriptures um, that we saw in verses 34 and 35 when he gave them this new commandment. Okay? We see that Jesus' final commandment that he gives them is to love others. It's the key. He knew that they would struggle with this. And by the way, he, he knew that we would struggle with this commandment to actually love each other like he loves us. Saying I love you is great, but we all know the phrase actions speak louder than words. Jesus knew this would be a struggle. He knew that every single person would struggle to love themselves too much. He knew that Donald Savini would struggle with loving himself too much, which leads to selfishness, which leads to pride, which leads to always having to be right, which leads to trying to win every argument. He knew that that would be my struggle. And his final commandment to his followers, to us, is love one another. Show love. The truth is, and the problem is, we don't think that others deserve love. We can give list and reason after reason after reason and point it out why this person does not deserve my love. It's easy to give love to those that are lovable, right? We can make excuse and reason after reason why people don't deserve our love. And our love can show itself in so many ways. We can think of so many reasons. So I want to give you three challenges this morning when it comes to love. We see this commandment of Jesus. The first one is this, as we love, as we're called to love, our purpose here on earth, his commandment is to love, to love, to love. Number one, I want you to, to realize that you need to, to really love God. Again, we can sing it, we can sing it out, uh, you know, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. And we can say, I love you, Lord, I love God, I love God. But do we really, genuinely, deep in our hearts, have a love for God, or is he just kind of that spare tire that we reach out to when we're in need. You get a flat, you don't really mess with the spare tire until you get a flat. Some of us treat God just like that. We have a problem coming, oh, oh, I love you, Lord, I need you right now. Oh, God, my God, I need you, like we sang this morning. But the rest of our lives, when things are going okay, we don't really. That's not love. Could you imagine if I only talked to my wife when I really needed something, when there was a problem? And didn't tell her every day, I love you, you're so beautiful, I'm so glad you're my wife, and serve her and love her and build a relationship, that's love. If I only went to her when I needed something, that's not love. And we treat God like that so often. We need to love God. Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth, he showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can I remind our church of something this morning and all those who might be listening to this message later on online? We are sinners. We are sinners. We sin. We're not perfect. 
Sin is separation from God. It separates us from God. We can be jerks. We can be liars. We can be dishonest. We can be selfish. We can be prideful. We are sinners, every single one of us. There's not a day that goes by that we don't sin because that is our human nature. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We do things that displease God. We do things against the word of God. And we talk about levels. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. That's just, that's just another sin of pride. We're sinners. And even while we were yet sinners, he loved you. He loved me. He died for you. He died for me. And how do you show your love for him? Really? Action, we said actions speak louder than words. How do you show your love for him? How? Because we can in our walk with God. Well, I read my Bible every day, and I pray, and, and I, and I, I uh, uh, you know, think about him and things like that. But, but, but can I tell you how we can show love to God in a more real way? It's the next point, but in how we love others. Jesus said in, in the scriptures to the disciples, hey, when you love the least of these, the afflicted, the hurting, the abused, when you show love to, to your neighbor, you're showing love for me. You're serving me. When you serve other people with the right heart, not with strings attached, but you serve in love, you're serving me. You're loving me. And that's the next challenge this morning. We read the scriptures. That's the commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye are my followers, if ye have love for one another another. We are called to love others. Jesus said, the world will know who you follow by your love. Not by how much money you give to the church. Not by the fancy clothes that you wear to church. The world's not going to know that you're a follower of Jesus uh, uh, by how good you can sing or how loud you can sing or how much you go to church or how righteous you are or portray the world's not going to know and see Jesus in you by how many Bible verses that you know. No, the world will know that you're a follower of Jesus by your love for each other. That's what Jesus said, and he doesn't lie, and he doesn't make mistakes with his words. That's what he said, that the world will know that you're a follower of him. Not by anything else, but by your love for each other. Yes, your love for the world, sure, for the poor and brokenhearted. But he takes it a step further and says, by your love for one another, for other Christians, for other believers. How you serve the family of God, which we are. How you reach out, how you show love. The world will see it in you. Listen, you know what I want people to see that come to this church, the world, people that don't know Jesus, to walk through these doors? I want them to come into a church and look around and say, wow, these people really love each other. They really are fighting their battles side by side. Now, I'm not talking about bringing it to a point when people come in and be like, this place is kind of weird. Some places it can be kind of, you know, churches and, and different cults and things like that. They take it to a whole nother creepy level. And you know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our spirit. I'm talking about how we serve each other, how we love each other. How much love do you show to your brothers and sisters in Christ? To people in general? Or are you kind of just like that loner type? 
Can I tell you, I understand there's introverts and extroverts as part of our natures. But God never calls anybody to be a loner. He just doesn't. God is calling us and he will give you the grace to love and to show love for each other. You want to do what God wants, right? How many of you want to do what God tells us to do? Raise your hand. I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to obey what his commands. It's right here, black and white. Actually in red in my Bible because it's the words of Christ. He is telling us to love one another. How, else, how can we do that though? What's a way if we're talking about each other, our, the other believers, and this is really more of a practical last point, but by loving your church, by loving your church, we are the church. Sure, this is a building, the church building, but people sitting in these, the, the, the chairs are not the church, the people sitting in the chairs are the church. Rich is the church, Eddie is the church, Danny is the church. Stephen is the church. Precious Matthew is the church. Lily is the church. Everyone here, you are the church. Dan and Lindsay came over yesterday to the church, to this building, and I uh, had some stuff I wanted to get done. And you know what they did after a long week of work? Is they came and they gave hours and hours to make this place look better. And they didn't say, make sure you mention something about me helping you. I'm doing this because it's part of the message. They cleaned. They organized. I was gimping around, trying to help as best I could. And they cleaned. And they organized. Behind the scenes type of stuff. No one knows that. But you know why they did it? Because they love their church. And they love me. Yes, they're brother, but they're pastor. They showed love. Anybody can say, I love Coastline. But what, what are we doing with that love? Remember John F. Kennedy said something like, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I, I think we can use that with the church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church, the people in it. Because them serving and cleaning and doing all the organizing does serve our people. It does serve you. And they're not the only ones that have done things like that. We've had other people do the same things. But what do you do? What do you do for your church? What can you do? Many of us, we want to just wait around for like an opportunity to just come. Well, no one's asked me to do anything yet. Come on. There's always something that can be done. Why, why are you waiting around for someone to come? Why don't you go and say, I, I'm here. I'm part of this church. I want to, I wanna, how can I help? What can I do? It's time to step up. It's time to take it, the theme, you saw it, the next level. Time to take things to the next level. Time to stop sitting on the sidelines. We've got to be a part. Yes, God will build his church. God will bring people to his church. But he, he needs and wants to use tools. And can I tell you who the tools are? You and me. You and me, working together, side by side, hand in hand, loving people, reaching people, serving the church, being a part, going out to the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in, as the scriptures say, bringing people in, finding a way. I got more people that need a ride to church on Sundays. 
Praise God, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law decided to pick up Lily. Lily's been, Lily's been calling us for months, right, Lily? Wanting to come. I said, we got to make this happen. And we did because someone was willing to, to, to do it. I got uh, other people that are looking for rides. I just don't know who can do it. I got four kids. I got a full van. I can't do it. See what I mean? We need people that can help, that can sell, that can sell out and, and commit themselves. Whatever we need, I'm willing to do it because I want to serve God and serve people. We're commanded to love one another. Yes, we're commanded to love everybody, love the world. But Jesus told his disciples at Last Supper, the chosen, the followers, the world's going to know by your love for each other. By your love for your brothers and sisters, for the person sitting next to you at church. That's how they're going to know. So how can I show love? How can I show that kind of love to my brothers and sisters? I'm going to give you some things. They're super practical. But how can we show love in 2023, today? Invite someone over to your house for dinner. What a, what a, what a great gesture of kindness and love. Hey, can your, I want your family to come over for dinner. I want to I hear your story. I, listen, we have time after church and before church. We talk and have coffee. But then, like, that's it. We're the family of God. When's the last time you invited someone over to your house for dinner? Or, or, or maybe say, well, I don't really have a big house. Or, uh, taking someone out to lunch. Grabbing coffee with someone. Writing someone a note of encouragement. You have no idea what everybody faces. Could you imagine that you write a note? Hey, just praying for you today, thinking of you. Just want to let you know I love you. I'm glad we're in, in the same church together and you're my friend. And that person, you have no idea that person, what they could be facing and going through. When's the last time you, you did an act of love for somebody else? Pray for someone. What a great way to show love. To pray for someone. To let someone know, hey, I'm praying for you. Do something for somebody else. Get to know each other. Hey, we're missing some, some people today at church. I hope that somebody says, hey, I want to reach out to that person that's missing and let them know that I missed them. I do it because I have everybody's number and I'm the pastor. But imagine if it was from somebody else. Some other, just another member of the church. People expect it from the pastor. But from someone else that says, hey, we missed you yesterday. Hope you're doing well. Praying for you. Man, we got to start doing something for somebody else. And we have to, church, stop with the excuses. We're all busy. We're all tired. We all are. We all got stuff going on in life. Every one of us. You're not alone in that. I'm not belittling your situation at all. I promise you that. But I'm just reminding you and trying to challenge you as your pastor this morning. We got to stop with the excuses. All of us, including myself. And we all have the excuses of why we can't do this or that. And I'm telling you this. Those excuses will not work when we face God one day. And we're going to wish we had done more for him. Yeah, but Lord, I was just so busy. You think he'd be like, oh, okay. No, we're missing out on opportunities to obey God and to serve God and to love God by loving and serving other people. That's the commandment he gave us. That's what he left us with. I'm challenging you. Let the love of God flow through you to others. Let it flow through you to other people especially your fellow brothers and sisters. I say all the time, and I mean it. We are outwardly focused as a church. We want to be, oh, I don't want to just, us four no more, and this is, let's just take care of us. No, I want to reach and build and grow. I want all that. But I'm telling you, I believe that God will bless our growth when we start and continue to love each other and serve each other and build relationships within the church. So when people come in, they're like, hey, I want to be part of what's going on here. That's why we're doing small groups in March. It's an opportunity to serve each other. Help each other. Be open with each other. Pray for each other. Challenge each other. Show love to each other. 
That's what small groups are all about, building relationships with each other, which in turn strengthens our relationship with God. Because that's what he commanded us to do. And I'll, I'll tell you this much, every one of us will have excuses of why we can't be part of a small group. Well, that time just doesn't work for you. Well, make it work for you. Make it work for you because it's important. What's important we make time for? Church, I know this is challenging. I'm not trying to... I'm just giving you truth from the Word of God this morning. He commanded us to love each other. And I'll, I want you to ask you this question as we close. What does the world see when they look at me? What does the world see when they look at you? Really think about that. If I took 20 people that you crossed paths with this, crossed paths with this past week, more than just like walking by, I'm talking had a conversation with, talk to them for a minute, you know, maybe they don't know you super well, but they, they met you, they talked to you, whatever. People that you work with, people, your neighbors, you know, whatever. And I took those 20 people and sat them down and said, tell me everything you know about one of you. What's their purpose? What's their focus? What do they talk about? How's their attitude? How's their spirit? What would they say? Would they say, well, yeah, they're nice, but they seem a little impatient. They seem like they kind of were just trying to get out of the conversation. Or, well, they didn't really talk much to me. Or, or hey, this. Or would it be something like, you know, honestly, they, I, I sense a real genuine spirit in them, like a real kind spirit. And it's something different about them than other people that I come into contact with. Well, they talked a lot about God and about his blessings. And I know that they're going through some stuff right now in their lives, but still they had such faith and it was very inspiring. What would people say about you? If we interviewed them this this coming week about your life, about the people that know you and love you, your family, your friends, your neighbors. What does the world see when they look at you? What does the world see when they look at you? Think about that this morning, church. Every one of us. Let yourself be challenged. Let yourself be a little convicted. And in that conviction from the Holy Spirit of God that you say, ah, I need to do better. Say, Lord, I know I need to do better. And I'm asking you to grace to Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply, and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.